about certain pastors that I pray for and, uh, and pray because of the influence that God's given them and the grace that's upon their life, and, and I know that, and I know that uh, as a result, uh, God is uh, taking their influence and touching the world through them. Matter of fact, uh, your, your pastor, uh, that's now your pastor, Pastor Robert Morris, I pray for him and Debbie every day too. And, uh, and so uh, today I don't want to take up any more time. I'm going to let him uh, go and run. And so uh, would you guys, uh, uh, Pastor Joel Stocksdale, uh, he is a wonderful man of God. He's an author, a speaker, a leader. He, he mentors leaders uh, and has mentored thousands of leaders and uh, also has a message that I believe will be uh, life-changing, life-giving today, especially if you're in a place where you're struggling in uh, seeing daylight in your life. And so can we stand to our feet and give him a big uh, welcome to Church on the Move. All right, you can be seated. Thank you so much. Well, it is a blessing to be here today. And I'm going to do like I did last night. I'm going to sit here and we're going to have us a little chat today. Amen. Amen. Oops. It is good to be in Tyler, Texas with Church on the Move. Are you on the move today? And uh, I just want to thank Pastor Marvin and Patty for their hospitality and uh, it's an honor to be here and uh, I'm so glad today to have my my lovely bride my better half with me uh, she came in later last night and uh, she's here with me baby would you stand up this morning I want y'all to see this beautiful woman of God the Lord gave me and uh, what a blessing she is and God is just using her in a powerful way uh, I, I want to share with you a little bit of my story this morning from Romans chapter 4. If you have that, your Bible, your iPad, your iPod, whatever it is you have. Romans chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 16 through 18. If you don't have it, I believe it's on the screen. Yep, there it is. And uh, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe, and that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. That's the God we serve. He can create new things out of nothing, and he can bring the dead back to life. That about covers it all. Verse 18 is what I want you to see today. This is what, what I want you to take home with you. This is what I want to just ask the Lord to just impart and imprint on your spirit. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. 
Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you today for this time together in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for this church, Church on the Move, for the lighthouse that it is in this area, in this region. I thank you for the leadership of this church and what you're doing in them and through them. And I thank you, Lord, that you've raised this place up as a house of prayer. I thank you, Lord, that prayer is going forth and your spirit deliverance is happening because of the the prayer covering in this house. And Lord, today we just ask you to stir up in our hearts in the next few moments that we share together. We ask you to stir up hope, a fresh hope. Let us lay hold with our weary hands again, once again to the scriptures and to the word of God and to the bedrock of Christ Jesus and to the foot of the bloodstained cross. And let us decide today to once again move out in the hope that is ours. And Lord, I pray for those who their hope may be dead or their hope may be diminished today. I thank you, Lord, that you are going to move in their life and on their behalf. And great faith is going to be released today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You know, there, there's something about us as humans. Uh, we, we tend to fixate on the one area or the two things that tend to be the worst in our lives. I'm from Louisiana, and we have bayou down there, and you can be out on the bayou, and it can be beautiful, and the sun can be setting, and there, there can, uh, beautiful wildlife all around you. And then all of a sudden, a mosquito comes and finds a very vulnerable place on your ankle and takes a big chunk out of your ankle, and all of a sudden, 30 or 40 wonderful things are eclipsed by a mosquito you can't even see. And all you can think about is how bad your, your ankle itches, and now I'm ready to go. And isn't it that way in life? You, you can have a nice place to live and a nice car to drive, a good friend, but, but get one area out of whack in your life, and all of a sudden you, it's, it's easy to start feeling like your whole life is awful. When really it's just one area of your life that's awful. And, and you know, Abraham was the father of faith. But he had this one area that was threatening to just ruin everything. He had money. He was, the Bible said he was very wealthy. He had great friends. He was married to a beautiful lady. He, he had all these wonderful things, but he was missing a son. And over time, that 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 factor that was missing in his life began to to eat away at the very fabric of his his faith and his hope and and at some point Abraham had to make a decision that even though that area was not what he wanted it to be he was going to continue to hope for the promise of God in the face of seeming impossibility you know, shalom means nothing broken, nothing broken, nothing missing. Shalom is the word for peace in the Hebrew. And a lot of times, in this case, Abraham had something missing. It was a son. Sometimes it's something broken. But if we're not careful, one area of our life can completely rob us of our peace. Where, where it becomes to the place where all we can see is that one thing that's not right in our life. And because of that, we lose sight of the hundred other things that are right. Am I talking to anybody in here today? 
And, and you know, this, this isn't a message just for people who are in crisis. As long as you're breathing air, like Pastor Marvin, you said, we're all going through stuff. You're going to go through stuff. And there's always going to be that area that the enemy tries to come and tell you, yeah, yeah, God's good in all those areas, but what about this area right here? How come he hasn't brought a husband? How come your kid hadn't gotten saved yet? How come your, your relative's still addicted to drugs? How come you're still in poverty? How come you still hadn't gotten a job? Whatever it is, he's going to key in on that and try to use that one thing to discredit everything else God's done. And this, this story just resonates with me in my life. About five years ago, I realized that I was at a place that I had never been before, and I realized one day that it was a place of hopelessness, Pastor Marvin. And I had never been that place before. I had always just thought, one day I'm, I'm going to break out into the sunlight of God's blessing because, you see, at the age 12, I contracted some type of a disease and at 16, my kidneys failed, and I went on kidney dialysis. And so that began a long, long journey for me. Over 70 operations, been in the hospital, I don't know how much of my life. And doing di kidney dialysis three times a week. Anybody in here familiar with dialysis? Maybe you have a family member, several of you. And three times a week, going to the clinic, getting hooked up, having my blood cleansed for four hours. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's not something you do if you can fit it in your schedule. It's something you do or you don't live. And I've been doing that, and I've done over 3,000 of those treatments. And about five years ago, I just got to the place where I realized that I was still saying all the right things, but in my heart, I had become hopeless. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So that means that hope is the infancy of faith it's it's the baby form of faith you can't have strong vibrant faith if you've lost your hope and and here's something that i learned about the devil he, he's a master abortionist he always and, and i want you to get this right here he always tries to kill in infancy what he knows he cannot defeat in maturity He always tries to kill in infancy what he knows he cannot defeat in maturity. When did he try to kill Jesus? When he was in Bethlehem. When did he try to kill Moses? When he was a baby. The, the, the devil, because when Moses got grown, guess what happened? He delivered the people of Israel. What happened when Jesus got grown? He went about destroying the works of the devil. And so the enemy tries to come after your hope because he can't defeat your faith. But if he can get you to give up and lose hope, you see, because hope is the decision you've made to give God another chance. That's what it is. It's saying, you know what? I may have put myself out there a hundred times, but I'm going to put myself back out there another time. And as humans, we say, well, I don't want to put myself back out there again because I don't want to be disappointed. Isn't that the natural tendency that we have? But you got you to keep, got to get back up on the horse. Got to keep trying to ride. Got to keep putting yourself out there. You got to keep, you got to keep 
pressing forward in the things of God and, and, and exercising hope. And, and he, so in 2012, I came to this place and I began to seek the Lord and the Holy Spirit revealed to me, he said, you've become hopeless. And I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't even know anything about hope. I probably preached a thousand messages, not one of them on hope. I didn't know anything about hope. So I started studying hope. And then shortly after that, I was going to read through the whole Bible in January of 13. I, I like to some Januaries, I'll do the whole Bible in one month. I just like to do like a, a word cleanse. And when I do that, I pick a theme so that I can be looking through the whole Bible for that theme. And so guess what theme I picked? Hope. And I, I found that there were 260 or so verses in the Bible that directly mentioned hope. And so I studied all of them. And I wrote all of them out in my journal. But there was one verse that stood above all the rest, head and shoulders, that ministered to me more than any other verse. And it was this verse right here. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Even when there was no reason. What's, what's the number one enemy of your hope? Reason. Reason. See? And, and when we say, well, it doesn't make any sense to continue to have hope. Well, that's how the enemy comes to destroy your hope is he puts it in the realm of reason and makes it unreasonable, impossible, a long shot. Never going to happen. And because of that, we acquiesce to hopelessness because our mind has told us that it's impossible. Now think about Abraham and Sarah. Oh, Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65 and they didn't have a kid. And it was past the time for having kids. I hope you know that. 75 and 65. It, it, it was over. And I don't know what situation you may find yourself in today, but it can't be any more hopeless than that. And then God shows up and says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And so then Abraham's like, Praise God, we're going to see a miracle here. Only problem is, a year goes by, five years goes by, ten years goes by. Now Abraham's 85 and Sarah's 75. Nothing. Then he gets to 90. Sarah's 80. Nothing. Look what it said. It says, he said, and Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. He made it all the way to a hundred. Twenty-five years. It was over at 75. But at a hundred, if it could be more over, it was more over. And yet, Abraham, this is why he's the father of our faith. Because he just kept hoping. He just kept hoping. He just kept hoping. He made a decision to keep hoping when it made no sense. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. 
And that's when the Lord began to minister to me and say, Joel, all you can do is keep hoping. It's all you can do. I can't make a miracle happen. There's, there's nothing I can do to make a miracle happen. I'm not a miracle worker. But I can do what Abraham did and keep hoping. That's all I can do. I can keep hoping and say that one area of my life that is trying to sabotage all my joy and trying to sabotage all my peace and trying to discredit all the goodness of God, all the blessings of God, everything that God's done from the cross all the way to every blessing that he's put in my life. Uh, and it's so many. I can't even begin to list them all, the blessings. But this one area, it's like, God, I need a kidney. God, I need a kidney. And, and my mosquito bite is the kidney thing. It's, there's a beautiful sunset, and there's the water, and the, and the birds, and all that. Yeah, yeah, but there's the mosquito. It's like, Lord, you, you've given me a, a, a wonderful heritage. I come from a great family, and you've given me a wonderful family of my own with my wife, and you, you've blessed me, and, and, and all these wonderful things. But, God, I need a kidney. And so I had to decide, and I have to decide every day, I'm going to keep hoping. I'm going to keep hoping. I'm not going to give up hope. I've got to keep hoping. And I've seen God's faithfulness time and time again. I love that you're doing a, a series starting next week on faithfulness. You know, in 2000, the year 2000, I was 20 years old. And I had been on dialysis for four years, and it felt like 40 years. Because when you're a teenager and you're having to deal with that kind of stuff, it's, it's traumatic. You don't have the maturity to, to even process what's going on properly. And I had been in, in the hospital. I had been at death's door. I had just faced and encountered so many things. And I went in January of 2000. The doctor called me and my mom, and we went and met. And instead of meeting with the regular doctor, they brought us into the head of the nephrology's office. You know, I was used to going into the, the little exam room. They brought us into, and there's all these books, and we're sitting across this table, and, and the president of the nephrology uh, practice comes in. And we knew something serious was going on. And, and so he said, now, uh, Miss Stockstill, I've called you and Joel here today because I need to, I need to really inform you guys of what's where things are at and what's going on with Joel's health. And he said, the the fallout from all of what's happened the last five years is such to where Joel's had a failed kidney transplant. He's had all these operations, and now at this time I'm six five, one hundred and thirty pounds. I'm a walking corpse, of course. I didn't, I didn't think I was a walking corpse, but I was. And he said, Joel has got about six weeks to live. And if he will take his medicine, do his treatments, and stay in the bed like we asked him to, he has about six, he'll be extended to about six months. Now, here I am, 20 years old. I've had everybody and their mama prophesy over me that I'm going to preach the gospel to the nations that God's got his hand on but here's this doctor saying 
you're getting ready to die. Spend as much time as you can with family because it's over. And we just have to, we have to tell you that. And I can't tell you, I guess, even though I'd been at death's door and had faced a lot of things, it never really crossed my mind that it was a serious possibility for me to die. But at that moment, it got real. It got very real. And I remember feeling sick to my stomach, not like physical sick, like when you hear you got six weeks to six months to live and you're 20 years old, I mean, I hadn't even lived yet. My teenage years, I had spent trying to live physically, but I hadn't done anything. And I hadn't fulfilled the call of God. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't got to live the life that God wanted me to live. And, and then all of a sudden, it was like there was a rebound in my spirit. It was like that, that part of me, that the new creation just jumped up. And, and I remember pointing my finger across the, the desk at that doctor and saying, I will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And I don't know what translation I quoted it in. I probably massacred it. I didn't know where it was in the Bible. It just came up out of my spirit. Now, and he immediately put his hands up like I was shooting at him because they knew that we were crazy. And that's why they had asked him to meet with us because they knew that, that we weren't normal. We didn't just accept what the doctor would say. We would deny it. And a few months before that, I had been in ICU, and they had, they had told everybody that I was going to die that night. In fact, a pastor in Baton Rouge, who's a medical doctor, came up there to see me. He went home and told his wife, said, Joel Stocks will be dead by the morning. And so they called the intercessors in to the Lady of the Lake, and they got up there praying out in the hallway. And then they felt like they were praying all loud and interceding. Then they felt like they had a breakthrough, so they started Jericho marching and praising out in the hall. Scared everybody in the hospital half to death. And you know what happened? The next day, I started improving. Went to a room. Next thing you know, I was out of the hospital. But they, time after time, things like that happened. So when I got to pointing and shouting scripture and stuff, it was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Why? Because if you're not operating in faith and in the hope of God, you're operating in reason. And you're never going to find anything good in reason. These five senses, they're going to testify to the facts. And the facts can always be situated to look worse than the situation is. I like to give a parallel of the facts and the truth. You know, the truth and the facts sometimes are two totally different things. Something can be factually correct, but not the truth. And, and years ago, I learned about the, the lunar eclipse. And we all know the moon has no power. Isn't that right? You can go up there and walk around on the moon. It don't have any power. All it does is reflect the light of the sun. Now, the sun, it's got the power. You're never going to fly over to the sun and, and take a walk around. Y'all heard that Cajun joke about Boudreaux and Thibodeau? Boudreaux, Boudreaux told Thibodeau, 
that he was going to go to the sun in a rocket ship? And Boudreaux said, you are? He said, well, what are you going to do? It's mighty hot up there. He said, oh, Thibodeau, he said, I got that figured out. He said, I'm going to go at night. But the sun's got all the power. You can go at night or day, and then you, you're not getting close to the sun. You're going to get melted. And Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of righteousness. He got all the power. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And what happens from time to time, the moon will get in between us and the sun and eclipse the sun. And it looks like that the moon is more powerful than the sun. It looks like the sun has disappeared and the moon has taken its place. But if you'll just wait a minute, it starts moving back out of the way and you see where the real sunlight is. You see where the real power is. The truth of God's word is where the power is. And the devil will take the facts and eclipse the truth for a moment in time. But if you'll just keep hoping, at some point the moon is going to move out of the way and the sun is going to begin to shine and you're going to see the truth of God's word and your situation will be illuminated by the power of this word right here. Abraham kept hoping. He just kept hoping. You know, that doctor gave me six months to live there in 2000 and obviously he was wrong. Uh, that was 18 years ago, 18 and a half years ago. I preached the gospel all over the world. And about five years later, I was going in once a month for checkups. I had to meet with a doctor. And my regular doctor was out. And so when I went up to uh, by the hospital, I decided to go pray over some people. You know, you just got to kick the devil when you can I'm like, devil, if I'm going to have to go to the doctor, I'm going to go pray over some sick people on my way to the doctor just to let you know I'm not intimidated and I'm going to continue to minister healing to others. So I had my suit on. That's back when we wore suits, Pastor Marlon. Thank God we've been delivered from that. <laughs> I had my suit on and I uh, went up and prayed over some people and then I walked over to my appointment and uh, they you know, you're in the waiting room, and then they bring you into the back room, and then you wait in there. And I just, I'm, I'm ornery. That's one reason I'm still alive, the grace of God and just sheer orneriness. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not getting up on that table with that crinkly paper. I'm not sick. I'm sitting in the doctor's chair. So I was sitting over in the corner, just sitting there, you know, waiting on him to come in. And he came in, and I was sitting over here in the corner. He came in here and was looking straight ahead, and I was right there. He didn't see anything. He was kind of distracted. And, and then he looked over, and I stood up and walked across the room, and it was the president of the nephrology clinic. He had been assigned to take the place of the other doctor. And I'm telling you, he went white as a ghost. He almost had to lay him down on that crinkle paper. He couldn't believe it. And the first words out of his mouth was, I can't believe this. Because I did believe, now he couldn't believe. And because he believed in his prognosis, it tried to keep me from believing. Because the facts will try to keep you from believing the truth. 
And the truth will always overpower the facts if you'll just stay locked in with the truth. So I got up, walked across the room, shook his hand, and he was like, now at this time, the Lord had really began to heal my body, and I don't have time to go all into I shared last night a story of how the Lord began to touch me at a Benny Hinn crusade in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And by this time, I'm, I'm where I am now. I was 6'5", 180. So now I'm, I've gained 50 pounds, and I'm still, I'm still a skinny white boy. But you should imagine me 50 pounds ago. I mean, I literally had to run around in the shower to get wet. I mean, I had, I had to find a stream. And this doctor, Dr. Kitty, he, he could not believe what he was seeing. And he asked me, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, I preach and I do this and I'm traveling here and there. <laughs> and, you know, for years, the, throughout my whole adult life, I do my treatments Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I'd fly out Saturday and go preach somewhere and come back Sunday or Monday. Well, when you're on dialysis, you don't do that. You just, you know, most people are on dialysis, they're just locked in. They're just, you know, living day to day. And I'll, I'm just like, devil, you're not going to keep me bound. I'm going to go out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do something for the Lord. And, uh, but he was just, he just was blown away. And I thought, see there? If we'll keep hoping... God will deliver us. God will deliver on his promise. Can you imagine what it was like? I, I, I always put it in this context. I like to bring the word to life. Just imagine that old Abraham and Sarah, I imagine that he and Sarah invited me and Amy over to his, probably had a mansion, to the, to the Abraham mansion, Abraham Manor in the promised land. We go over there, and they're a great old couple, and they got people cooking dinner. They're like, we want to give you a tour of the house. Now, Abraham's, he's about 95. Sarah's about 85. They're old. They start giving us a tour of the house. Now, this is this room, that room. We get to this and say, no, this is the nursery. And we're like, oh, that's so sweet. How many great-grandchildren do you have? <laughs> and then Abraham says, well, we don't have any. Say, oh, well, you, they must have had children late in life. They, how many grandkids do you have? Well, we don't have any of those. Oh, yeah, well, well, what's this nursery for? And Abraham looks over at Sarah. He looks back at Amy and I. He says, actually, we're expecting. Now, at that point, I would grab Amy's hand and say, honey, let's go. We're not eating anything at these people's houses. They're 95 and 85 thinking they're getting ready to have a baby. They're crazy. Put it into context. It didn't make any sense. Abraham couldn't figure it out. It didn't make any, it didn't make any sense at all. He just kept hoping. He didn't know how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen, how the Lord was going to do it. None of that. He just kept hoping. And then guess what happened? One day, Sarah got pregnant at 90 years old and had Isaac. It didn't make any sense. And you know what? The fact that, that he kept hoping is why we're talking about him today 
several thousand years later. Because it says down here, and I love this, and I'm ending with this. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered and believed in God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promised. Now, the longer you have to keep hoping, the more glory God gets. If Abraham and Sarah would have had a baby at 35 and 25, would we be talking about it right here? No. That's happened about 8 billion times here lately. But the fact that they were 190 is why we're talking about it today. It brought great glory to God. And really, we gotta, we got to even come to the place where we see that mosquito bite, that area. And, and I'm saying mosquito bite. It might be something very painful. It might be a divorce that you walk through. It might be a child that's on drugs. I don't know what the situation is in your life. But every day that goes by is an opportunity for God to get greater glory. And we don't think God gets any glory till it resolves. And God says, no, I get glory every day you believe me when nothing's happened. Boy, you're going to have to chew on that for a while. I want to close with this. In 2012, shortly after the Lord began to deal with me about hope, I began to study hope. I even began to preach hope. I just said, I'm just going, I need, I need to hear it more. I'm going to just start preaching hope to myself and make everybody else listen. <laughs> And so one day, I'm a seer. I see things. Uh, the Lord uses me in prophetic ministry. Uh, tonight, my wife and I are going to be ministering at another church prophetically, doing presbytery. and uh, So that's something that I've done for a long time. And I, I like to see things. I said, Lord, this hope thing is so abstract. Show me something that helps me to be able to better grab a hold of this concept and communicate it to people. So I was up on a Saturday I was up at the church praying, seeking the Lord. I love to do every Saturday. I love to just spend the day seeking God in the church. And it wasn't, it wasn't totally dark. There was a few lights on, emergency lights. But all of a sudden, I had a vision, and I was in the pitch black. And fear gripped my heart. I looked around. I saw nothing. And, and I, I, I thought, my God, I'm in a dungeon. And... I remember just the, the fear of thinking I'm 30, I don't know why 30, but I just thought I'm 30 feet below the ground in the pitch black in a dungeon. And, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, look again. And, and as my eyes began to adjust, I looked again and I saw a light way in the distance. I couldn't tell how far it was. But it could have been miles, but I saw light. And I knew when I saw that light by revelation that I wasn't in a dungeon, I was in a tunnel. See, The difference between a tunnel and a dungeon is a tunnel has a way out. And the Lord spoke to me right in that moment, and he said to me so clear, he said, hope is seeing light at the end of the tunnel, even when you're standing in the pitch black. It's seeing light at the end of the tunnel, even when you're standing in the pitch black. And if you give up hope, that tunnel becomes a grave. But if you keep hoping and keep walking, at some point, I don't know, Abraham was 25 years, you're going to break out into the sunlight of God's favor and see the fulfillment of his promise. And you know what? I'm still walking. 
Every day I have to make a decision. And every day I have to get, when I get up, I have to decide afresh. I had to do it this morning. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to take another step. I have not reached the light of total deliverance from kidney failure yet. But you know what? I'm closer than I was yesterday. And I'm sure closer than I was a year ago. And I'm way closer than I was 10 years ago. Think about Joseph. He just, he just kept walking. He's in the dungeon, falsely accused, taking care of prisoners. Didn't do anything to deserve to be there. He just kept walking. One day, got a call from the palace. Bring that Hebrew boy up here to the Pharaoh. You don't know when you're going to walk out of the tunnel. Your job is to keep walking. Bow your heads with me. I want to pray with you, and then I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Marvin. You may be here, and, and there's an area in your life where the hopelessness has, has found its mark. Maybe, it, maybe it's to the point where it, it's become systemic, and it's overtaken every other area in your life, and you can't even be happy about anything because that one area ha, has so defeated you and, and so deflated your faith, and, and you've lost hope. And today, a, 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 as we've just broken open the Word of God and and we could have talked about this for three hours because my spirit is so full on this subject. But I've just, I've just downloaded to you some of what I've walked through. And this, this is not a good sermon that I cooked up this week because I needed something to preach. This is, this is my life. And, and I, it's my hope today that you would just be encouraged and, and enthused in your faith by the story of my testimony and, and, and my testimony of keep hoping. I'm still hoping. My Isaac has not come yet, but, but my hope is still alive, and my faith, like Abraham's, is actually getting stronger. And so I want to pray for you. I want everyone just to lift your hands to the Lord. I want to just pray the hope of God over your life today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just speak hope. I just speak life. I just speak faith. 